You are listening to the official podcast of Journey of Life Church in Orlando, Florida. Visit us on the internet at journeyoflife.org. So, uh, you know, the, uh, the Wednesday Bible study has been going through hell. <laughs> uh, not literally, hopefully, anyways. It depends on how bad my teaching is on any given day. But we've been going through hell, the, the doctrine, the teaching of hell. And I sent out uh, an email yesterday that said, we're going to do it. We're going to talk about politics in church tomorrow. And somebody emailed me back and said, so it's going to be hell on Wednesday and Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) They are being very witty. So, but we we are going to talk about, uh, um, we are going to talk about uh, politics and how to think about politics today, just a little bit for a few minutes. Uh, We want to be, of course, uh, we love our country, well, most of us do anyways, and we love our Lord. And so we want to be good followers of Christ, and we want to be good citizens of this country. That I think, I will say this, it's the only thing I'm going to offer you my own opinion on. I think that our country is founded on very uh, Christian principles, the main one being the freedom of the individual. Because God doesn't come to us to force us to submit to him. He comes to us in love and offers us the freedom to receive or reject his offer of love and forgiveness. So I think that the freedom of the individual is a thing in the Bible, and I think our country is founded on the freedom of the individual. And I like that. But that being said, that's the last opinion I'm going to give you, because my job here is not to teach about politics, but to teach about the Bible. So the first thing we need to know is that the forms of government and social structures really didn't seem to concern the biblical writers a whole lot. Uh, Paul was a Roman citizen. Uh, he didn't. He only used that when it was to his advantage. And frankly, it actually doesn't make much difference to us because Rome was a republic for about 450 years or so. But Rome finally lost their republic in 27 BC, 27 years before Christ. The formal form of Rome switched from a republic to an empire. And then the Caesar, the, the leadership was passed down, father to son, or whoever could wrest power from wrestle power from the leader. So Paul's citizenship in Rome, by the time Jesus is alive and beyond, is not going to help us at all. Well, help us very little, anyways, understanding. So there's another thing. Uh, there's a book in the Bible called Philemon. Anybody ever read the book of Philemon? Doesn't take very long, does it? It's a letter. It's a letter to a man named Philemon who had a slave named Onesimus. And wouldn't you know it, Paul was uh, good friends with Philemon, and then he's in another place in prison, and he's, he's uh, preaching and teaching and talking to people, and this guy named Onesimus comes to Christ and comes to faith, and he confesses to Paul and says, you know what, I really I, uh, I need to confess this, and we, we, uh, I, I'm a runaway slave. And, you know, you can picture it in your mind. Paul says, well, you know, where'd you run from? Who's your, who, who, whose slave were you? And he says, it was a guy named Philemon back in, you know, that other city. And Paul's like, ha! I know Philemon. And what do you think Paul did? He said, you've got to go back. Onesimus, you've got to go back. Because you ran away. He didn't take the opportunity to denigrate the institution of slave or anything like that. We're, we're not going to go there today, but what I'm pointing out to you is that the earthly institution that put Onesimus as Philemon's servant 
not Paul's primary concern. It was the heart of Philemon and the heart of Onesimus that was Paul's primary concern. And then, of course, we have the, the, the um, what we just read was, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Uh, and Caesar, remember, Caesar's not in the Israeli view. Uh, he's not the legitimate authority because they are an occupying foreign force. And the people come and ask if you should pay your taxes to Caesar or not. And Jesus basically says, yeah. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And in case you missed that, what's really going on there is whose image and inscription is on the coin. So that's Caesar's. Whose image and inscription is on you? God's. And so when he says give to Caesar what is Caesar's and God's what is God's, he's saying, well, if you look in the mirror, you see the image of God on you. And uh, so you need to give your whole self to God. Don't worry, just pay the taxes. So... We have all these, these situations that seem pretty strong to us, foreign occupiers, slavery and stuff, but they really don't take the opportunity to address those things as social structures directly. So we want to talk as Christians today. And what we know, what we know as Christians is that our job never changes, only the environment in which we do our job. You and I have job number one is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that the way that expresses itself changes based on the environment. But your job never changes. It's to be a follower of Christ. It's to exhibit things like this. To be loving and joyful and peaceful and long-suffering. To be kind and good and faithful and gentle and have self-control. That's the way we live. Whether we're in a democracy or whether we're in something else, whether we like the president, or whether we dislike the president, whether we like the last president, or dislike the last president, we, we still live as followers of Jesus Christ, including governments we disagree with. And this actually did come up. Whoops. Yep. Including the way we relate to the government. Uh, Titus, 3 verses 1 to 2, remind them to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. I might make that my Facebook editor. <laughs> See if I can change the internet world a little bit. So, but, but the bigger thing is here, uh, we have the reminder to be submissive to the rulers and authorities. Peter also says the same thing. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the parents of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. Why? Why would we do this? Why would, uh, why would Paul send Onesimus back to Philemon? Why would Jesus say, pay the taxes to the occupying forces? Why would we be told to be submissive and courteous in all things? Why are we supposed to honor the emperor? The emperor? Is that, I mean, we're Americans. The reason is because our job is the same in all circumstances, all places, and all times. 
the soul is the first concern. People are brought to Christ through love, not power. People are won over by kindness, not coercion. And so if our first job is to be followers of Christ, then our, first, then our mode is going to be kindness and love and compassion and concern. And it, but it's not a mushy, wimpy, submissive kind of, like, you know, uh, it, it's not agreeing with whatever people say, but it's refusing to repay evil for evil. It's refusing to resort to deception. It's refusing to resort to violence. So we are called to have strong love as citizens of our country and citizens of whatever country we find ourselves. Now, we've talked about our first job, to be followers of Christ, to be the bringers of God's love and compassion and new life in Jesus Christ, regardless of what circumstance we're in. That's definitely our first job. However, we happen to live in a country where it's the government of fighting for the people, right? At least that's the ideal. That's the ideal set forth in our founding documents. To, to be a, a government that is, that is a people who are self-governing. And that's a privilege, right? So while there's no instructions on the Bible regarding, directly regarding governmental forms and social structures and stuff, there certainly is a great deal of talk about what a person with power should do with their power. And what power do you have? The voice and the vote. In the United States, we have the power of the voice and the vote. And so we still, even though the forms of government and stuff aren't, uh, aren't specifically listed, we still have to want, ask ourselves, as followers of Jesus, how do we use power? How do we use the power that we have to serve Christ? in the world, because that's the power we have. You can choose to support whatever form of government and policy you want, but what you cannot choose as a Christian is whether or not to care about other people. You remember the, 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 um, the, the parable of the sheep and the goats, uh, where um, the king is sitting on the throne and he sends one to the, the sheep to one side and the goats to the other, and the thing that sends them to the one side or the other are whether they clothed the naked, whether they took, visited, took care of people in prison and all this stuff. And so as we express the power of our Christian citizenship, that's what we need to be thinking about because we aren't free to not care about other people. Scriptures make it very clear that uh, God's call is for his people to do things like to seek justice and mercy, to feed the poor, to clothe the naked, to fight for the rights of people who are being oppressed and downtrodden, the rights of the powerless. Micah 6, verse 8, familiar verse to most of you. He has shown you, O oh man, what's good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And of course, that's to you, and to you, and to you, and to you, and to me. But each of us is a citizen of this country, and so as having the power of voice and vote, now we have to ask ourselves, what does following Christ look like for citizens who have the power of voice and vote? What does that look like? How do we serve God? Because the, the, especially the later prophets make it very clear that if you think the serving of God is in the ceremonies, you have missed the point. If you think serving of God is, church is a great place to learn and grow, but if you don't 
if it doesn't change your life to listen to the word, then that's something that you need to think differently about. Because, uh, well, here, I'll give you Isaiah. He made it clear. Uh, this is Isaiah talking to, uh, in the voice of God, talking to the people of Israel. You humble yourselves by going through motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. These are all like things of fasting and repentance, right? Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think that will please the Lord? No. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind the people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from your needy relatives. I, I, I just really love that last sentence. It's not like, that's really a little tag on the end. Don't hide from your relatives who need your help. Okay. <laughs> But so, so you and I, we are Christians, and we are citizens of America, so we have the power and the voice and the vote. We live in a country where we select our leaders, which is a great privilege, and that's where we have to start talking about politics. Politics. Does anybody like to start a dinner conversation? Just because I said the word politics in church? So the word politics comes from the Greek word polis, which means city. So it has to do with how people in any group or city organize themselves. So it's really not a bad word in its root. It's how people are going to city ourselves, or state ourselves, or country ourselves, or whatever like that, right? So the question I want to answer for you, and not answer definitively, but give you some ways to think through, is how to talk about political issues. Because if you are a Christian, and you have a call to do all those things we just read, and you have some power, the power of voice and vote, you need to learn how to talk about these things, otherwise you're not using your power of voice and vote to be a servant of Christ in the world in one way that you could. So, what do we do here? How do we do this? I got, I got six. I should have had seven ways, but maybe six is an appropriate number for politics. Okay. So how to talk about political issues. Number one, here's what I think you have to do. I think you have to expose yourself to a wide variety of ideas. I think that you have to listen to other people and think through what they are saying about different issues. Um, and I have the Bible to back me up, which I believe. Proverbs 18, verse 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. So you have to listen to other people. Proverbs 18, verse 15, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge. The ear of the wise seeks knowledge. So you've got to listen to other people. You've got to find out why they think what they think. What's behind that? The one who states his case first seems right until the other one comes in and examines him. So there's, that's that give and take, that iron sharpens iron that goes on. And unless we learn how to talk politics instead of argue politics, then this thing can't take place because there won't be that there won't be that cross-pollinization of ideas and thoughts that come in from the outside to help us. And we all need them. You know what happens if, if there's a very small gene pool, right? If a few people interbreed, what happens there? Lots of weird birth defects, right? That's, that's probably what happened in the, in, the, in the royal line in England, is they just interbred with too few people and they started to go crazy. Because that's what happens if you don't have a broad gene pool. Well, there's this word meme. 
And you know a gene is a bit of information carried in your cell, right? So a meme is an idea, a bit of information carried in your mind. And I'm going to give credit where credit is due. I don't agree with a lot of what he says, but this guy, Richard Dawkins, who is an atheist, is the one who came up with the word meme because he saw that ideas seem to jump from one person to another and mutate a little bit too as they go. And so he coined this word meme. And what I would like to tell you is that your meme pool needs as much diversity for your health as your gene pool. If you don't expose yourself to other ideas and ways of thinking and looking at things and other, even other just plain old data about, if you don't, if you don't take the time to understand what's really going on, even before you get to ideas, then you're going to have a very unhealthy mind. You're, going to have, you're not going to have a healthy enough mind and viewpoint to think about and use your power as a Christian citizen for voice and vote wisely and correctly. And so that's the first thing. You've got to, you've got to expose yourself to a wide variety of ideas to increase your, to broaden your mean pool. Read articles that, not just articles that you go, yeah, 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 but articles that you disagree with. Articles that make you uncomfortable and edgy because you don't really like what they're saying, but it does start to feel like it might have a point. Those are articles that you should be reading. Is healthcare a human rights issue? If so, then what about the doctor's right to decide what to do with his own life and who to treat? Is healthcare an issue of societal responsibility to care for the poor? That's a different question. Then maybe it's the responsibility of the doctor who's been trained in everything that exists in our society to help other people. Because we would say it's the responsibility of the powerful to help the powerless. Maybe we would as a society. I, I, I'm kind of a, I don't know what kind of person I am, but I like to engage people on Facebook and, and try to keep the discussion lively and kind and knowledge-based. And so I got in this discussion about universal health care and some, a guy from Sweden, I, I, what I mentioned was why, I said, why should somebody who makes the effort to take good care of their health pay for people who don't do anything like that and don't take care of their health at all? And he said back to me, why should I pay for the health care for a bunch of health nuts? who constantly need knees replaced and hips replaced and they break bones skiing and, and they, they tear their rotator cuff because they're lifting weights, why should I pay for them? But you know what, that's actually a good point. People do get injured when they're trying to be healthy too. It opened my mind a little bit to think about things. It was good for my mean pool. So, that's the first thing. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta expose yourself to other people's ideas and not just the bullet points, but understand why they think what they think. Because most people aren't crazy. Most people aren't. And they've got good reasons. If you can keep calm enough and talk long enough, they've got good reasons for why they think. Number two. We are told to put the best construction on other people's motives. To put the best construction on other people's motives. Titus, we, remember, we just read this. Speak evil of no one. That's putting the best construction on their motives, right? Avoid quarreling and be gentle and show courtesy. So we're called to put the best construction on other people's motives, to speak kindly and courteously. So do 
you think universal health care would be an unmitigated disaster? Maybe that's what you think. That doesn't mean you care about nobody but yourself. Conversely, do you think universal health care is necessary for a compassionate society? And it may be the next best thing since sliced bread. That doesn't mean you want to enslave the population and bring us all into Russia, right? Whatever, whatever idea or direction you think, there's sort of a caricature of why you do it or think it. And then there's the real reason. And you've got to get to the real reasons to, to let yourself get to a place where you can think about those in a kinder, gentler, more open way. When you impugn the, I've had this happen to me many times. Well, not me, not many, but a few. When you impugn the motives of somebody else, you put them in a position of having to argue for their character instead of trying to think about through a policy or a program or something like that. I mean, really, how can you have a discussion with somebody else who says, you just want to kill babies? Or you don't give a rat's behind about pregnant mothers. How, how, did, how can you have a conversation when somebody resorts to that? So one of the things we have to figure out is how not to bite on that hook if we're having a conversation with somebody about something. We've got to figure out how not to bite that hook. And say, you know, because somebody can somebody can do that. Somebody could say, we're not going to steer the conversation down this road. We're going to go back to what we're talking about instead of being all for or against the character, okay? So, number three, we need to speak with compassion. We always need to speak with compassion about things. Paul tells the Colossians, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Meekness, by the way, isn't wishy-washiness. Meekness is a willingness to reserve and hold back on your strength and power for the sake of the other person. That's what meekness is. Because we kind of, that in our day and age, we use meekness a little differently. We don't really value meekness in our current definition. So, compassionate. You've got to think, uh, be, be compassionate. Be compassionate for people who think differently than you. Because they're going to be, well, there's two things. One is they have a backstory, right? They have all their own experiences that may have led them to their current positions. They have different uh, set of education, a set, different set of principles. You gotta think compassionately about other people. And then you also have to think compassionately about the people that are affected by whatever you're talking about. You gotta think compassionately about the people who are affected by whatever you're talking about. Let's talk about something real, real run-of-the-mill, nobody has any strong opinions about it at all. The Syrian refugee. So what, how do we help the Syrians? How do we help these, do we help these people? And how do we help these people? You have to think about that. The one thing you can't say is who cares. You might say there's one way, you might say there's a different way, you might say, we, you know, you might talk about the role of the US in the, in, the, in the community of nations in the world. There's all sorts of things you can't talk about, but the one thing you can't do as a Christian is say, who cares? Because you know what we just read is that God's image and inscription are on them too. And so we cannot say, who cares? There's all sorts of policy things we can talk about, but the one thing we can't say about is, say about them is who cares? Compassion is the mark of a Christian. The next one, be wise and innocent. 
be wise, and then a, a verse that we came across recently, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, says the Bible. So while we put the best construction on everything, Christians are well aware of the fallen nature of humanity. And so we don't walk around having to pretend that we think everybody in Washington or Tallahassee or wherever has the best of motives and no, nobody's out for their own personal power of gain or anything. You're all altruistic. You don't think that. To be a Christian is not a call to be a leader. So we have this, this balance, right? You've got to be compassionate. You've got to put the best construction on things. But we're also supposed to be wise about things. And as part of wisdom, I would like to offer you the opportunity to have some peace by being willing to admit that you don't know enough about a particular subject to have an educated opinion. I'm not saying you do or don't. I'm saying wise people are willing to admit when they don't know enough to have an educated opinion. Is there or is there not a refugee camp just outside of Syria that Syrians can get to and find safe haven and protection with UN troops. Does anyone know? I don't either. So maybe I don't know enough to start getting into a big heated argument. So that's wise. It's wise to, to know or to admit when you don't know. Of course, we already talked about the need to get educated. But the wise people are willing to admit they don't know enough to have conversation about something. The last one, this is the last one right here. When you're going to talk, this is my suggestion. I heard this on a blog. Uh, I didn't hear it on a blog. I didn't have to read it. I heard it on a podcast from someone else. And his suggestion, and I thought it was a good one, was when you're talking about what's going on in our government, the best thing to do is to talk policy. I don't know if that's entirely true because I think our leaders need to be trusted leaders, because we can't have all the information all the time. You have to just send people to, to the leadership post that you trust to make the right decision. But I heard somebody say top policy, and I thought that was a good, good way to keep things in the zone where the emotions aren't getting overheated. Because the implementation, here's one thing, if you talk, start talking policy, then you have to talk about who's affected by what where, instead of just sort of general principles. You have to talk about how certain people are going to be affected by certain things, the way we decide to do certain things, spend certain monies, put certain priorities on different things. So the kind of question is, instead of talking just about people, is this a good policy? Is this a, it, without regard to who's asking for it or implementing it or whatever, is this a good thing to do? And why or why not? What are the positives? What are the negatives? What are the potential benefits? What are the dangers? What are the alternatives? And identify problems and stay solution-oriented. Spend as much time talking about solutions as you do pointing to the problems. There are some people who, if you come to them, there are some uh, management books that say, if, some, if an employee comes to you with a problem without a solution, you should just send them away. You don't need, what you need is someone who's going to 
identify problems and offer solutions. And so when you, when, and this is something you can ask somebody else, when they kind of get into complaining, just complaining, this and that, and say, what's your solution? That's pretty good, huh? You don't like the border wall? What's your solution? You think we should have a border wall? What does that solve? Do you know there are, there are tunnels? There are tunnels in San Diego. Just going to give you another piece of knowledge. I don't know what to do with it. In San Diego, there are tunnels with lighting, electricity, ventilation, and they are large enough to drive trucks through from Mexico. So they, they inside of a warehouse in Mexico, they dig a tunnel, they go underground, light, ventilation, proper supports, big enough to drive a pickup through, and then they come up in a warehouse in San Diego, 100 feet, 200 feet from the border. Is a border wall going to stop that? I mean, there's, I, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to, I'm just giving you thoughts. I'm not here to discuss the border wall. I will talk politics with you sometime, but not from the pulpit. It's not my job up here to be political. And that's the last thing I want to leave you with. Don't be afraid. As soon as you find yourself in a fear posture, you have, you have moved, you're, you're moving in a way that is moving away from the core truth of the gospel, the center of what we believe about our lives, about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what he said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And I would suggest to you the disciples were facing a lot of stuff that is much worse than any of us can reasonably be expected to face ever. And yet, Jesus' words are still peace. And so that's what I would say, that's what I would close up with here. Is Christians need not fear. We can talk about it, we can work for whatever we think is right, we can try to be the best Christian citizen we can, but in the end, we have to stop the fear talk, because who is ultimately running the show? Who's in charge of this thing called the earth? It's true that nations will rise and fall. It's happened before, and it will keep happening until Jesus comes home. But Christians, we need to stop and take a deep breath when we find that fear beginning to spin in our head. And listen, it doesn't matter who's president. There's somebody probably in this room who will have fear start spinning in their head based on who the president is. Because we are, you may not know it because we don't talk about it here, but we are a perverse group in this room, politically. So when I tell you to talk compassionately about people who differ with you, I'm talking about your brothers and sisters in our own congregation, uh, in addition to everybody else. But if you've placed your life and soul in God's hands, you need not fear. If your first desire is to be a tool of Jesus' hands for the spreading of his love and redemption, then you don't have to fear because your first job is always secure. Your first job is always intact. So, what are you going to do with all these policies and procedures and elected officials? But I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm just here to tell you that you are a Christian and Christian citizens have a responsibility to be involved. Jesus got involved in the world for us. And we have a responsibility to get involved in the world for other people. 
My job is to encourage you to follow Christ. Being the incarnation of God's love, welcoming people into fellowship with God through Jesus, and giving your all for the sake of His kingdom, and never letting anything, anything in your head rob your peace that comes from life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are citizens of this country. A country conceived of in liberty, which seems to reflect the way that you treat humanity. And with the privilege of being in this country comes the responsibility of having power, every single one of us, the power of voice and vote. So teach us, Father, how to be good citizens of this country. How to speak with others. How to let our minds be open with compassion for other people's thoughts and experiences. Teach us how to be good citizens of this nation. In Jesus' name. So, a couple, uh, three things here to think about while we take a short break. And you can bring your offerings and prayer cards forward. When does politics give rise to fear Number two, have I exposed myself to other points of view? And number three, of the things that I can offer, have I disconnected from my responsibility as a citizen? Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Journey of Life Church in Orlando, Florida. Visit us on the internet at journeyoflife.org.